Well, amen. Thank you, ladies. That's a great song. I, I don't know the right words to, to even say to that. I listened to the words as they sang it, as I have many times before. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, that really is a discipleship lesson put to music, is really what that is. It just seems like the Lord has to teach all of us as His children that we need Him and that He needs to be part of our life. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, He said, without me, you can do nothing. And uh, sometimes I think we, uh, we all, on our journey with the Lord, we all get a little too big for our britches sometimes. Just like our kids do growing up, you know, I got this. I'm doing pretty good. I think I got this, right? <laughs> and then the Lord has to just let us realize, we come to that place where we realize, you know, I, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I don't have it all together like I thought I did. I don't know everything like I thought I did, right? And, uh, and then we come back and, and ask the Lord for his help. So beautiful song, and I, I just hope that was a blessing to your heart. And, uh, you know, this morning, if you found yourself in that position uh, at the end of your rope, not knowing what to do, not having all the answers, just remember the Lord does. And uh, you can come back to him. You remember what he said? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we just need to stay connected. And we stay connected to the Lord. He's our source. He's our strength. He's our supply. He has everything that we need. And uh, we just need to stay close to him. So what a great song. Uh, I enjoyed that. I hope you did. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's open the Word of God together to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. And as I spent time reflecting on this yesterday, I just, uh, wow, I was just intrigued at the way Paul wrote this. I'll share it with you from that perspective this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, once you found your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word, we'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading right there in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 10. 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, and how we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we do thank you for this special passage of Scripture. We thank you for the truth that it bears to us. And Lord, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we certainly need the lesson that's embedded here, and so we do ask, Lord, that you just be our teacher and guide through the scriptures today. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'll be our teacher, that you'll show us the things that are pertinent to us, things that you'd have us to know and to do as a result of learning this today and being reminded. Father, I pray you just have your will and way in every heart and life. I pray, Lord, you just apply your word, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse number one, as we read, the Bible says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself will I not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. 
And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory, rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I want to preach a message today I've entitled just simply what Paul called it, a thorn in the flesh. Just a thought for the day, the, a thorn in the flesh. Thank you so much. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as we read this scripture today, there's, there's some compelling things that come to mind. And I know that there's a lot of things we could, we could choose to discuss. What I want to do is just try to get, deliver the message that I, that I think Paul was trying to deliver. And I want to look today uh, in, in the message, not so much what this thorn was, but how it affected the life of Paul, the purpose maybe that, that God used it for in his life. I was reading through some of these verses and found some of the words to be interesting as I tried to grasp the context of what Paul was trying to say to us. And you know, anytime you read a passage in the Bible, you need to be able to come away with the message in mind. That was intended. And so you need to be able to put it in your own words and say, well, this is what Paul was trying to say, or this is what Jesus was trying to say, or whoever you're reading about. So as I look at this, I want to I go back through it and just give you some thoughts there. Not the main part of the message, but just to kind of help bring the, bring the context and bring the, the more or less the attitude of this together. In verse 1, Paul said, it is not expedient. That word meaning helpful or conducive for me to doubtless, for me doubtless to glory. That word doubtless there, we would say, of course, or something like that. Of course, it's not expedient. It's not helpful for us to, for us to uh, glory uh, or to boast. He said, I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. We know Paul had many revelations of God. That's how he wrote the New Testament. He knew things that we would not otherwise know that God shared with him and showed him, and he was able to pin those uh, in Scripture. There were many other things that came from uh, his experience, pastoring churches and dealing with people and traveling across the known world at that time. Paul says here, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, and he tells about this experience where this man was caught up into paradise. Most Bible scholars believe that he's actually referring to himself. There was a time when, when Paul, after preaching the gospel at a certain city, was taken outside and stoned and left for dead. As a matter of fact, he actually died. Many, the Bible doesn't actually say that, but it does say the disciples gathered around him and that he was raised up. It implies that he had died during that period and that they miraculously raised him. You know, the apostles had healing powers like that, that God gave to them to validate their ministry. And so here, uh, Paul's reflecting back on that experience, and he's saying I, this had happened, and he was caught up into paradise. And uh, it's in, interesting the wording that he uses in verse 4. He says how that he was caught up into paradise. And if you'll remember from a few weeks ago, we preached from Luke chapter 16. We talked about that place of paradise. Here, 
uh, you know, if you think about it, this is after the resurrection of Christ. So Paul would have been talking about heaven, right? And so he, he's saying, I saw things. He said unspeakable words uh, that he heard. And, and that word really for us would be indescribable. Things I can't, I can't even say. I can't even describe uh, what I saw. And, and doesn't that make sense? If you visited heaven, you'd come back probably saying the same thing. I saw things there that I don't even know how to describe to you what they were. Or how beautiful it was. Because the Bible says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for him. What a wonderful verse. And Paul, uh, you know, relating the reality of that. He says, these words are not lawful for a man to utter. That word lawful there means permissible or appropriate. And so what we're understanding then, if you, if you know Jewish culture, the Jews were not, they felt that the name of God was too holy to pronounce out loud. They never spoke the word, the name of God, in public. They felt like that was improper or, or inappropriate to do so because it was so holy. As a matter of fact, the scribes, the ones who, the ones who made copies of the scriptures down through the years, you know, before Xerox, the ones who had the responsibility of, of making sure that we had an accurate copy of the Word of God, when, when, they, would, when they would write uh, copying the Scriptures and they would come across the name of God, they had such reverence that they would put their pen aside and they would go and they would, they would wash themselves, they would put on a fresh change of garments and come back with a fresh uh, bottle of ink and a new quill to write with. Every time... They came to the name of God, they would do that. There are some passages where they might have taken a bath several times in a day, <laughs> right? And so that's pretty interesting. But uh, they were in that much awe and respect for God and for his name and for his word. So no doubt then Paul comes back after this experience of seeing heaven opened. And of course the presence of God. And he comes back saying, I can't even tell you what I saw there. I can't even repeat the words that I heard. Awesome. I mean, it just leaves us to imagine what Paul experienced. You know, I, I, when we think about how dedicated Paul was and how he endured such affliction in this life to do the work God called him to do, no wonder. He had seen heaven. And there was nothing the devil could throw at him that could, that could you know, demotivate him or stop him because he already... He already saw the finish line. He already knew. Uh, his faith had already become sight. He'd been there. What an awesome reality. So he continues on and he says in verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, and I think what he's saying there is it's our human tendency, isn't it? To speak of that which we're good at or that which makes us look good. But he said, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, and I'm going to come back to this point. He talks about this thorn in the flesh in verse 7 is what he calls it, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And, and uh, what is that? Well, he doesn't say, but people believe it was different things like an like a infirmity, like a health issue. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that it was his eyesight, that Paul had diminished eyesight, and uh, that was a great hurdle to him uh, in his day, especially the way they had to travel. 
He didn't have the convenience and luxuries that we have in this modern generation. And so that really would have been a, a, a thorn in the flesh, so to speak. Uh, could have been that and uh, may very well have been. He calls it the messenger of Satan. And then he said, it's here to buffet me. That word buffet basically means to beat me. It means to strike with the fist. So this is something that not just inconvenienced Paul, but it seems to be something that also caused him great pain. I don't know if maybe if it was his eyesight, I don't know if headaches accompanied that or, or what the case might have been, but it seems like it would have been painful because of the words he used here to describe that. And he said, I have this lest I should be exalted above measure. Another thing that I thought was interesting, he said, I, I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. He wanted to, to get, be healed of this and get rid of it. And God said, no, think of that. Paul could heal everybody else, but not himself. Isn't that interesting? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. We'll talk about what that means. And Paul came away saying, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that word rest is pretty interesting. If you study that word, it's a word that means to tent with, which means to abide or 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 to dwell upon or to live with. And I think that means long-term instead of momentarily. Paul said, because of this, the power of Christ may rest upon me instead of just instantaneously being with me for a moment, with me for an event, with me for an action. He said that the power of Christ may abide with me. I'm willing to have this. Right? Powerful truth. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, And he came away with a new perspective in verse 10. So let's get into the message, a thorn in the flesh. Uh, whether this was eyesight or some physical infirmity, <clears throat> who knows? But we know the reality for Paul is that this was a serious thing. This wasn't just a slight inconvenience. This was something that he said buffets me. Uh, in other words, caused him great pain. Have you ever had something in life do that to you? Have you ever wondered, God, why did you allow that in my life? Of all things, why that? well, I'm sure Paul could have said the same thing. He could have had the same wonder. Lord, if I'm to write the majority of the New Testament, how come I can't see, right? That would have been a a great ability to have uh, in his day. Or if I'm to travel the known world, why do I have to have any kind of physical infirmity or sickness or whatever it could have been? You know, at least give me good health, right? If I'm to to travel in, in uh, in this way. And yet God chose to give him this thorn in the flesh. Verse 7 tells us something about this thorn in the flesh. It says, Paul speaking here says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Isn't it interesting that he says it twice? Paul understands the reason here. A thorn in the flesh, and if you're taking notes, just make this number one. A thorn in the flesh prevents us from being exalted above measure. So the next time you ask God, why? Why do I have this? Why am I experiencing this? It could be that this might be an answer to that question. Because a thorn in the flesh prevents us from being exalted above measure. 
Hey, and by the way, when you're dealing with this, when you're struggling with something this painful, who cares about accolades and all of those kind of things? Guess what? Pride just gets really diminished in the sight of infirmity or sickness or difficulty. We, we just get into survival mode and we just don't care about all that fluff. And certainly Paul was at that point. Being exalted above measure. What does that mean? Well, this happens, I believe, when others think too highly of us. Now, can you imagine? We do that as humans. We, we elevate people. We put people on a pedestal. We have heroes and we have people that, that we think are just, you know, next to perfect. But the truth is, they're not. They're just like us. Oh, maybe not in the same way. You know, we all have, we all have weaknesses in different areas. So they're not identical to us, but they're made of the same stuff. But I'll tell you why we admire people like that. We admire them because they overcome. And every time we see someone who overcomes, it should be encouragement to us that we too can overcome. And I believe this is exactly what God wants us to see in the life of Paul. But Paul had this concern. He said uh, he, he didn't want to be exalted above measure. That's one of the things that this thorn in the flesh was to accomplish in his life. And that can happen when others think too highly of us. Now, he wrote about it in verse 6. Look what he said. He said, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Think of that. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. Have you ever heard anybody? Be concerned about that before? I don't know that I've heard that spoken in my lifetime other than this scripture right here. But Paul was concerned about this, this problem of allowing others to think more highly of ourselves than is appropriate. I was reading uh, recently about Peter in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was praying and seeking God, and God told Cornelius, go call for Peter. And when he comes... He's going to tell you what to do. He's going to give you the words and tell you how to be saved. And boy, isn't that something every person needs to hear? The truth is we all need Jesus. He died on the cross for us all because without him, none of us are good enough to get to heaven. And so Cornelius is a religious man and he's devout and sincere. And God heard his sincerity. And God said, look, if you want to know the truth, you're going to have to send for Peter. He's going to bring you a message and tell you how to be saved. Right? So Peter comes to do that. When Peter arrives on the scene, Cornelius had already talked to God. God's the one that told him to go get Peter. So in his mind, Peter's elevated. He's this great prophet. He's this preacher. So when, preacher, when, when Peter gets to his house, he falls down immediately and, and begins to worship and Peter says, hey, get up. He said, I myself am a man. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I know there were occasions when Paul had to do that. They were about to bring on the sacrifices and, 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 and praise and worship Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. You remember that? And they thought they were gods. And Paul and Barnabas had to interrupt all that and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. <laughs> We're men. Don't worship us. Worship God. You know, 
It is, is it not? Part of our stewardship, our responsibility, when it's appropriate for us to help people recognize, hey, I'm just like you. Don't worship me. Paul had this concern of people thinking of him more highly than they should. What a healthy respect of his position. Of this attitude, John Wesley said, Where is this fear now to be found? Well, that was a few hundred years ago. If that fear had disappeared in his day, guarantee it's not around in our day. I've never seen it. Have you? Where people are concerned, and I don't want someone else to think of me more highly than, they, than is appropriate. You don't see any kind of reserve for that in our day. But there should be. Paul said, I have, this, I have this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet me so that I'm not exalted above measure because I don't want others to think too highly of me. Who do you see today that's truly modest, rightfully concerned about this problem in their life? It is, isn't it? It's a form of self-indulgence to allow people to think more high of us, more highly than, than, than maybe they should. Uh, let's, let's put that in check when we can, amen? But you know, not only that, but this happens also when we think too highly of ourselves. Paul said it twice in the next verse. And I think he said it twice there because maybe that's where it hit a little more home for him. Not everybody struggles with the same kind of things. But, you know, I remember in another place Paul saying, if anybody has bragging rights, I do. Remember what he said? I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew, right? And he went on with his bragging rights and all the credentials, things that the Jews would have been very proud of. But I'm glad Paul was able to get over all that and say, I count all of that but dung that I may win Christ. He said, I'm throwing away all of those things. They really mean nothing compared to my relationship with the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul understood when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he realized for the first time in his life, it's not religion that makes the difference. It's not religion that gets you to heaven, but it's a relationship. With Jesus. Paul had never had that before. He meant well. He was sincere. Oh, he was a believer. He read the Bible. He, he thought of God. He was even serving God, or he thought he was. Remember? And he was persecuting the New Testament Christians, those believers in Jesus Christ, because he himself did not yet understand who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, the Savior who came into the world to die on the cross in our place to pay for sin so that we could be forgiven. But he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and all of that cleared up. And the Bible says later that Paul began to preach Christ straightway in the very next chapter. Awesome, isn't it? All of the Bible knowledge he had prior to that, he gained a new perspective on. And then he was able to take that and serve the Lord and help others come to know Christ in that relationship that he now had with Jesus. You know, we can think too highly of ourselves. 
And we have to rein that in. We, we have to have self-discipline about that. We have to keep a level head, no matter how good at this or that we may become. Even if it's something spiritual. We need to be realistic and humble about who we are in Christ. Let me ask you to turn to a couple of verses with me. Look at Romans chapter 12. Turning back one book in the Bible to Romans 12. And uh, by the way, Romans 12 is such a great chapter. I often refer to it as the Christian's vitamins. You know, you, you just take one of these anytime. They're just good for you. But look at verse 3, if you will, in Romans 12. This is what Paul, Paul writing here. He says this, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to him, or dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, be realistic about where you are and who you are in Christ. Right? And don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't be full of pride and all puffed up. <clears throat> be realistic. Notice Philippians. If you turn to the right, a couple of books, Philippians chapter 2. Notice what, again, what Paul said in verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal God, with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the fashion of men, in the likeness of men. In other words, he humbled himself. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The mind of Christ is a humble mind. Jesus didn't come into the world flaunting himself. The Bible says he was born in a lowly manger. The king of kings was born in a manger. You know, and yet we act sometimes like we're too good to sit in that spot. We're too good for this kind of treatment or that kind of treatment. Hey, what, how did Jesus act? A big difference in his mindset and what we see today. As believers, we're to follow the Lord and we're to apply these, these things to our life. This word exalted that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 12, it refers to a self-exaltation kind of a self-righteous sense of, of who you are. This is just an exercise in pride, isn't it? And pride is a real problem in the Christian life because God hates pride. And actually, he directly said so in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. The Bible says there, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And number one on the list was a proud look. God hates pride that much that he would call it number one on the list? Well, no wonder he kicked the devil out of heaven. Because remember, Lucifer, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he's the one that said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Remember that? That was all pride. Pride is the mother of all sin. We find in the Bible that cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire and brimstone. God did that because of their pride and because of what pride brought into that city. Many, many sins. And just to be clear, homosexuality was the biggest. God said the cry 
of that sin has come up to me. And he said, I'm, he told Abraham, remember, I'm going down to see if it's really so. And Abraham begged God, please don't destroy the city. My nephew Lot's down there. Uh, would, would you destroy the righteous right along with the wicked? God, surely you wouldn't do that. Well, no, God wouldn't do that. Abraham, appealing to the nature of God, began this negotiation. And they came down to a final number. God and Abraham agreed, if there are ten righteous people in that city, he said, I will not destroy it. Ten! Well, evidently, God couldn't find ten. And he did destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that crowd will tell you they were destroyed because of pride. Okay? But we know pride is the mother of all sin. And we know what sin actually brought their demise through pride. Yeah, I'll agree with that. <clears throat> what else can pride do? Well, Paul was concerned enough about pride to say, lest I should be exalted above measure. Look, if the apostle had to keep himself in check in this matter, then surely you and I need to. And so, God dealt with another man in the Bible about this matter of pride. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a subject just for paupers, eh? But kings. King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with pride, and God dealt with him, causing him to live outdoors and eat grass like a wild animal because of his own pride. Pride pits us against God, and it steals the glory that's due to his name. King Nebuchadnezzar himself, after coming out of that, that mental state, he proclaimed that God is supreme and that he knows how to abase those who walk in pride. What a testimony. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 3, you can read his, his own proclamation. It's no wonder that the apostle Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than to be proud in his flesh. A thorn in the flesh prevents us from being exalted above measure. It has a way, doesn't it, of just keeping your feet on the ground in check. But not only that, a thorn in the flesh also produces a need for God's grace in our lives. Paul began to pray about this thorn in the flesh, this problem that he had given of God, and he wanted it obviously removed, just like we would. We would say, God, save me from this. God, deliver me from this. God, remove this from my life. This is a hindrance. This is an inconvenience. This is painful. And certainly it was. I think our mindset is always that of comfort and convenience. But God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Can you imagine what a reality that must have been for Paul to realize? Okay, this is permanent. I, I'm going to have to live with this. God's not going to remove this. It produced a need for God's grace in his life. Because already being human, we have limits. And now, with this infirmity, his limits were magnified. Isn't that at the place where you and I would normally say, well, you know, I would serve God, but... I would go to church, you know, but, well, I would, 
I would serve in a ministry, but I would read my Bible, preacher, but God, I would pray, but isn't it right? That's kind of how we do it. These are the kind of things that usually, just to be honest, they become our excuses. I, I, I could, but isn't it amazing Paul didn't say that? Paul traveled all over the known world. This disinfirmity didn't keep him from going anywhere. Paul did everything God wanted him to do. Paul preached the gospel. Paul traveled to cities. Paul trained his mentors and those preacher boys that traveled with him. He prepared and sent them to other places as well. Paul reported back to those supporting churches. He traveled to Antioch and Jerusalem. It didn't hinder him at all, not one bit. As far as we know in Scripture, there is nothing that Paul did not accomplish because of this. Wow. It produces a need for God's grace. Because Jesus, if you have a red letter edition Bible, these letters are in red, are they not? Because God speaking to him said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's grace. You know, the need that is produced here drives us, doesn't it? It drives us to seek the Lord. It becomes our motivation to get close to God, to find the help and the strength that we need. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find the grace to help in time of need. Certainly this is what Paul was doing. If God wasn't going to remove it and take it away, then no doubt he bombarded the throne of grace, I'm sure, daily to get the help and the strength he needed to carry on because he did continue even with this infirmity. You know, we should be seeking the Lord. Does God have to give us a thorn in the flesh to motivate us To seek Him? I hope not. Because we should be desiring that anyway. If He is the vine and we are the branches, if without Him we can do nothing, then we should be close. You know, you think about it. Like Paul, there's a day when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then after that, we, we develop a practice in a relationship where, where we just get closer and closer and closer to the Lord in our lives and, and He just becomes sweeter, uh, sweeter to us as the days go by. And, and then one day we're so close, we just, we just meet Him at home. We just, we just go to heaven. What a, what a sweet transition then heaven would be. If, that, if that's the way the Christian life worked, and it should be, then going to heaven is a wonderful thing. No wonder the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Can you imagine Enoch walking with God and one day the Lord saying, Hey, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And the Bible says Enoch was not, for God took him. Think about that. The Bible says some things about seeking the Lord. And I hope these verses will encourage you to know that seeking the Lord is important in your life. And it ought to be personal and it ought to be real. This ought to be something that you should practice on your own 
infirmity or no infirmity, thorn in the flesh or no. The desire to know God and be close to Him should be real for all of us. In Deuteronomy 4.29 it says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him, if thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. In 1 Chronicles 16, pardon me, In 1 Chronicles 16.10, it says, Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. I read that verse and I wondered, maybe we don't rejoice enough because we don't seek the Lord enough. The joy that comes from that relationship would no doubt Give us joy and make us more rejoicing and and use the word happy, if you will, happier in Jesus. First Chronicles 16, 11 says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. You know, and it's great. Someone like Paul who seeks God because they have to. But it's better when we seek God because we want to. 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen 19 says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14 says, And he did evil, because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Sometimes we end up in th- places in life, we end up doing things and we say, Why me? Maybe there's your answer. Because when we don't turn our heart to the Lord like we should, then is it any wonder when we end up where we should not? <clears throat> Second Chronicles 20 verse 4 says, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 105 verse 3 says, Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Proverbs 28 5 says, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Hosea 10 and verse 12 says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Acts 17, 27 says that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God's not far from you, dear friend. Would you reach out? Would you seek him? Oh, how we would benefit, how we would be helped and strengthened. We may find His grace if we would seek Him. God empowers us in our weakness. In verse 9, this is what the Lord was telling Paul. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace gives us strength, just like verse 9 says. His grace helps us to overcome sin. I want to I take you to a couple of verses. Write these down or turn with me if you would. But look at, look at Romans chapter 5, 
in verse 20. The grace of God helps us to overcome sin. So if you need a little help with that, this verse says, Moreover, the law entered, and that, of, that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. His grace gives us discernment. We're in the book of Romans. Go to chapter 12. And we read it a moment ago, verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. How do we even know what that is? The grace of God gives discernment. And we sure need that discernment, do we not? It's time to seek the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. His grace gives us the resources that we need. To serve him. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. This is powerful. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Wow. If you're a student of the Bible and you like taking notes, then right out next to that verse, you just need to write this. No excuses no excuses because God is able to give us everything we need that we might serve him and do what we should a thorn in the flesh prevents us from being exalted above measure it produces a need for God's grace in our lives but it also does something else it provides an opportunity for us to experience The power of Christ. Go back to verse 9 and look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. The Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. What did Paul say after that? He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. I looked up some words in that verse. I was thinking about the impact that Paul felt. And he said unto me, my grace. That word grace is talking about the graciousness of God. It's really more of an attitude. It's sufficient. That word sufficient means to ward off or or to avail. It, It implies victory right there. My grace is sufficient. It's everything you need to win, is, what is, is, is the idea here. Then he says, for my strength is made perfect. The word perfect usually means to be complete or whole, but here it means to accomplish or to fulfill. It's made perfect in weakness. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. And think about what he's saying. He's talking about his reaction He's talking about the attitude he has when he comes to that reality where God says, no, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to give you grace, and my grace is going to be sufficient for you, Paul, so that in everything you're going to have what you need. He comes away from that answer saying, most gladly, therefore, will, will I rather glory in my infirmities. And he's referring to the way he responds or accepts the will of God in this matter and the grace that God has given And he said that response, that attitude of acceptance 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It, it's, like, it's like the attitude of his response was the trigger that allowed the power of Christ to rest upon him. Oh, and that word rest. You look that word up and it means to tent upon. Tent, like camping, like, like a tent. And many of the uh, authors that I read after were talking about how the power of God would encompass you like a tent. It would surround you and, and all that's good. It would cover you. That's wonderful. But I couldn't help but feel there was a deeper meaning there. And it wasn't just that he was surrounded by the power of God. That the power of God was hovering over and around him. But the idea of abiding, that, that to tent meant to stay with. How many times in the Bible do we see an occasional moment of the power of God, an occasional answer of grace, and an occasional moment of strength? I think of people like Samson in the Bible where, where the Spirit of God came upon them for a moment and they did a thing and then it was over. Oh, Paul was saying because of this, the power of Christ is going to tent or abide. God is going to dwell. He's going to stay with me. Man, isn't that what we seek after? We, we want God to be with us day after day, week after week. We want this, look, don't we? If we really know the Lord, you want a long-term thing. You, you don't want a spark, you want a fire. Here it is. I believe what Paul was saying is that the thing that allowed God to tent with him was his own acceptance of the will of God in his life. The way he gladly received the answer that God gave him. Mm. I have to tell you, there's a lot of things that we see and we clearly instantly know, yeah, we got to work on that. But I'm afraid this one goes undetected so often. How's our attitude? How do we really feel about what God's doing in life around us? How do we really feel about what God says to us? When God gives us a nudge or an answer, man, that's important to God. You know, we may treat it like a small thing, and aren't there places in the Bible where God pointed out it's the small things that often catches His attention? And you know, I have to say, I, listen, the attitude, the character, the desire of our heart is one of those things that we view as small, but God sees as huge. It's the reason why God did not choose the oldest son of Jesse to be the king of Israel, but he chose the youngest son. Because God saw his heart and he said, wait, Samuel, not him. For I've refused. Refused him. A little old David came in the room and God said, Samuel, get up! Here he is! What? The sheep boy? Oh, yeah. 
But that's because God could see something that Samuel couldn't see. It was buried way down deep, but it was real and it was big. And God said, that's what I'm looking for. And as I read this passage about Paul, I think, whoa, it's not just because he was an apostle. It's not just because there was this infirmity. It's because the way he yielded to God's will, the way he gladly accepted what God chose, he said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. That's a challenge. And if you've ever tried to improve or control what's inside of here, you know what a challenge that is. We often don't even realize what our attitude is like, much less put it in check. But it is the power of God that engulfs us when we graciously accept what God has given, and it then accomplishes what our weakness cannot. Our weakness leaves room for His strength. Our weakness causes us to seek Him Or at least it should. His strength is always sufficient. And our reception of our weakness is the key to having the power of Christ rest or tent upon us, as he described in this verse. Oh, listen today. How's your attitude attitude toward God? Let, Let me give you an example of somebody that didn't have this in check. His name was Jonah. Jonah was a man used of God, but the power of Christ did not tent upon him. And we now can clearly see why. Because Jonah sat up on the hill with a scouring attitude. He wanted all the Ninevites to be dead. He wanted Nineveh to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. He was waiting on God to rain down fire out of heaven and destroy them all. What did Jesus say when his own disciples asked that question? Hey, Lord, this city over here that rejected you, you want us to call down fire out of heaven on them? What did Jesus say? Whoa. He said, guys, you know not what spirit you're of. Right? What spirit you're of. Hey, how's your spirit? What's your attitude like? It's time to check in. A thorn in the flesh permits a change in our perspective of things. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. I'm thinking, whoa, Paul, hey, he would do well in a Baptist church. (laughs) Okay, y'all, that was supposed to be funny, all right? If you... (laughs) Hey, look, you know, let's just be real for a moment. People are people wherever you go. And when you come to church, look around, and everybody looks all nice in their Sunday best, but look, we're still people. We say and do things we shouldn't. People get hurt at church, or, or, or they get offended or mistreated in some way because their expectations don't get met about church and church people and who we think they ought to be. Look, forget all that. We're, we're just people here. We're just people. This isn't a museum of the righteous saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And we all came for treatment today, all right? Myself included. That's what it's all about. We need to get a hold of the Lord and get the help we need. 
so that we can improve and be better in this thing called life that God has called us to. But notice what Paul says, very different from the way we think. He said, I take pleasure in all these things. These are not good things. They're not fun things. They're they're not likable things. These are things none of us want to be a part of. But Paul says, oh, fun, yes. What? Why is Paul saying this? Because he's had a change of perspective. Paul understands some things now. He sees differently than what he used to see. Because Paul said, I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, he knew that there was a benefit. He knew there was a purpose beyond what we normally see. Paul saw weakness as a potential for strength. Paul saw purpose in our pain. Paul saw as positive what we usually see as negative. Paul saw victory where others see defeat. Paul saw accomplished what others see as excused. I gave example of that moment ago. We would say, I would, but, and, and Paul did it anyway. Not only did he do it, he did it well, and he accomplished mightily what God gave him to do in spite of his infirmity. How about this change in perspective? How do we get that? We get it from having the mind of Christ. A moment ago, I'm not going to read it again because we just read that. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a mindset. And if we're going to have the mindset of a disciple, then we have to change the way we think about some things. And when we do that, that's when we have this change in perspective that Paul had that helps us see things a little differently. A change in perspective also comes from what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. I gave this recently on a Wednesday night. We talked about the renewing of our mind. The renewing of your mind is that ongoing continual process where, if I may use this illustration, we bathe our mind in the water of the Word. I heard an illustration one time where a father and son were working and the father asked the son, he said, hey, take this basket down to the creek. And he said, bring me a basket full of water. And the son hurried down to the creek and he scooped up a basket full of water and he brought it back. But by the time he got back, all the water leaked out. And dad said, well, go try it again. Get me another basket and bring it back. And so he went down and he scooped it in. He got a basket full of water and he hurried back. But by the time he got back, again, all the water leaked out and he, He was frustrated. Dad, it's not going to work. The water's all running out. He said, well, just try it one more time and come back back as fast as you can. His son took the basket, scooped up the water, ran back. Of course, by the time he got back, he said, Dad, I give up. The basket is empty and I can't get the water up here. It keeps leaking out. It's running right through the basket. Dad said, yeah, but look, the basket is now clean. You know, that's kind of how we interact with the Word of God. We read our Bible and we check off our list Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And we just keep feeling like we're coming up with an empty basket. But we don't realize as we take in the Word of God day after day, 
the basket is being clean. Our mind is being renewed. We're learning the way God sees the world, how we should see the world as followers of Christ. And that renewing of our mind is taking place as we encounter God's Word on a regular basis. A change in perspective also comes from the selection of our thoughts. Hey, did you know Paul taught this in in, um, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8? He named some things. You know, he said, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he said, think on these things. Whoa, you know what that means? That implies, you know, like that you and I have control of what our mind processes. Did you know you're in control of what goes through here? You might not be in control of what appears here, but you're in control of whether it stays or not. You're in control of whether it gets processed or not. And you see, Paul understood something when he said, be careful what you let your mind dwell on and think about. And he said, make a selection. And he gave some examples Things that are true, honest, just, lovely, of good report. He said, if there's virtue and praise involved, think on these things. Oh. As we take charge of our minds and choose appropriately the things we ought to think about, that change of perspective can happen then. Paul knew so well. This change of perspective often comes from our faith in God. When we choose to believe God and believe what God said, it does, doesn't it? It produces a little change in our perspective. We no longer see the world quite the way the world sees it. We have a new perspective because we believe what God said. In Acts chapter 27, verse 25, there was a scenario going on, and I don't have time to get into all that. But Paul stood up and said, I believe God. And because of that, he said, things are going to be a certain way. And he kind of prophesied what was going to happen. Isn't it interesting? In Mark 11, verse 22, the Bible talks about our faith there and how we can believe God, how we should. And when we believe what God says, it can change our perspective. And isn't that what Paul was doing in 2 Corinthians right here, verse chapter 12? Isn't that what he did in verse 9 and verse 10? As he prayed to God, Lord, deliver me from this. And God says, no, Paul, but my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Oh, that change of perspective had come. Why? Because Paul just believed God. He believed that God was going to give that grace, that strength, You know, in the moment, we don't always feel it. But if you believe God, you know it. And that's why we often say in the Christian life, we don't go by our feelings, we go by our faith. The Bible doesn't say the just live by their feelings. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And if you believe God today... That's what you base your life and your assurance on, is it not? Hey, today, I'm glad to tell you, just like we sang about a moment ago and all that, I'm glad to tell you, I'm on my way to heaven. I know the Lord is my Savior. I know Jesus died for me. He he paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it 
white as snow. God didn't need my help. He just needed me to believe what he did and accept it. And you know, religion sometimes gets us off track because it teaches us to do a bunch of things. And what Jesus said is, it's done. I did it all. I did it right here. It's done. All you need to do now is come and accept. That's why the Bible calls salvation the gift of God. Hey, friend, you don't, you don't earn a gift. You don't work for it. A gift is freely given. The price is paid by someone who loves you. You were about to experience this at Christmas. And because they love you, they go pay the price for whatever that gift is, and they come and they present it to you free of charge. It's free to you. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Salvation is not free. Gifts are not free. You ever go to the store and say, oh, hey, to the cash register, this is a gift. And they say, oh, okay, well, then just uh, be my guest. You can have it. No. They don't care if it's a gift or not. You got it. You got to pay for it. You better not leave the store without paying for it or you're going to meet security. Right? Gifts are not free. Salvation's not free. By the way, salvation wasn't cheap or inexpensive. Jesus paid an awful price. But he chose then to freely give. We're about to experience a little bit of that. See, we're going to have Christmas on a budget. Jesus didn't have a budget. He gave it all. All. The closest thing I could even compare it to. I mean the closest thing. For Christmas, if you picked one person and you sold everything you own and bought something and gave it to them, that's, that's, that's a little bit of what it was like when Jesus died on the cross for you. And you, you know why Paul could come through this suffering and still live a victorious life and, and accomplish so much for God? Because he just embraced the Lord and believed God. That's how he became a Christian in the first place. He had to stop believing what he believed before, and he had to start believing what Jesus told him. And the same is true for us. If you're going to know Jesus Christ the way Paul did, and if you're going to have grace in your thorns and trials of life, if you're going to have Jesus walking by your side and dwelling with you, then you've got to do the same thing. You've got to stop believing all that stuff the world teaches you. You've got to stop believing you can be good enough to get to heaven. Stop believing that good things are going to get you there. Stop believing in your church membership and your baptism and all that other stuff. And come to Jesus. And start believing that he did everything that God required. He did it on the cross. That's why when he died on the cross, he said it's finished. That's why in Hebrews, it says Jesus sat down on the right hand of God. Why? Everything that needed to be done was done. The Bible says he purchased our salvation. Read the book of Hebrews. It says he did it by himself. That means he don't need your help. With any of it. You didn't start it, you're not going to finish it. That's why Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. The author and finisher of your salvation. I'm so glad it's that way. Because if it depended on me, I don't think I would make it. 
Uh, let's just be honest. I know I wouldn't. The Bible doesn't say we're kept by my power. It's not me holding on to him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that we're kept by his power. It's, it, it's, it's him holding on to me. Right? I wouldn't have it any other way. Jesus said we're in his hand and his hand is in the Father's hand. And he said no man is able to pluck you out of my Father's hand. Isn't that good? Uh, by the way, no man, that includes you. So you get in there, you're safe. Right? Are you in? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this beautiful word today. Lord, we often feel like Paul. We may not have the kind of thorn he had, but sometimes we feel like we can relate to it. But I pray through this message we'll understand that all of what we need is in you. And just as Paul embraced you and believed you, Lord, that's what we need to do. Help us to come to you, Lord, and believe and receive your grace and let it be sufficient in our lives. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do and how the, I know you're going to help us with this word and I pray you would in Christ's name.